section, and we will do our, our scripture reading right now. And now that you sat down, I'm going to get you to stand back up with me as we read God's Word. <clears throat> and uh, we want to read uh, Revelation chapter 17 and 18. It's a longer reading. Um, that's why I want to do it now, especially with going straight into the message from this point. But it is God's Word, and it's, it's truth, and this is a portion that is a great marvel. Revelation 17. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and talked with me, saying to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and a filth of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus, and when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not, and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Now here's the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings, five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth, and is of the seven and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as of yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Then he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now after these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury." And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. 
Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works. In the cup in which she has mixed, mix double for her. In the measure that she has glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and am no widow, and will see no sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of the most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots and bodies and the souls of men. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of all these things, who became rich by her, will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearl, for in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, you heavens, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone, like a great millstone, and he threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down, and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you any more, and the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you any more. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all who were slain on the earth. Amen. You may be seated. We began this process of looking at the book of Revelation back in January. And again, as I shared earlier in the testimony time, um, how God two years ago um, burdened my heart that in January of 2009 I was to, supposed to preach on this book, which I basically had declared that I probably would never preach on because I would never understand it and I don't like to preach on things I don't understand. And yet, God really pummeled me with that um, understanding that I was to, to preach on this book. And I was mindful this week of God's promise in Revelation 1.3. I had someone ask me that if all this is going to occur after we have been taken up, and this is what we're talking about now, and, um, and I've been spending hours literally 
agonizing over this two chapters. And I said earlier, this is probably, other than declaring one, I believe the, the harpazo, the rapture of the church will be, this is probably the, the most agonizing portion for me to preach on because I have to declare potentially something that I hadn't got a clue on. Um, and so someone asked me, if, if this is all after we get raptured, if we're not here anymore, why are we even worrying about this? Why didn't we stop <laughs> earlier? You know, and I just as a reminder to you what it says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed, and we memorize this, I hope you remember this. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Blessed are those who read and those who hear what? The words of this prophecy. And so even if I don't fully comprehend it 100%, there is still the fact that God promises a blessing upon me, a happiness, a fulfillment, a joy that I receive from reading what God has declared to be true already in the future. Do you understand? It's already happened. For God, these are things that are done deals. It's, it's, it's a fulfilled prophecy to God. For me, I still have to what? I have to go through it. I have to, I have to look forward to it. It may not happen in my day. Maybe, maybe it's not going to happen in my day like I believe that it's going to be. Maybe it won't happen until another thousand years from now. Maybe I have fully misunderstood many of the things in the scriptures. But still there is the promise of God that I read through this, that God's word is true, and that God is still sovereign, and God is still in control. And God understands man, and God, God has already declared what, what man will do. There is, a, there is a blessing that as I look to this world that I live in, and I, as I consider the, the, the tumult of my culture and of my world, to realize that it's, it's still just a piece of what's going to be happening in the future. And, and, and yet God is still in control. Yeah, he's in, he's in control. And so this portion, Revelation 17 and 18, is when we bring together probably the, the, the major theme of the, the, the things which shall be, that, or the, that we focus on prophetically in the things that shall be. We, we talk about the, the beast, you know, and because in the beast, as we looked in Revelation 13, and then a little bit into 14, we, we talked about the, the, the false prophet. We talked about the Antichrist. We talked about the, the, the dragon that came, you remember, and, and tried to devour the, the woman and tried to devour the child and then tried to devour the saints. And, and then another beast came up out of the water having seven heads and ten, seven heads and ten horns. Sound familiar to what we just read, right? And, and I said at that time, we'll, we'll deal with that part of it later. <laughs> and then we went to Revelation 14. And we, we saw the angel declaring the everlasting gospel. And, and there was also the declaration that Babylon the Great has fallen and has fallen. And when we got to that point, I said, what? We'll talk about that later. And so now here I am. I'm stuck with what? Later. <laughs> and so, so the beast. The beast is here again. And, and so we have the beast. That's, and the beast is wrapped up with this thing called the harlot. And I was joking with somebody um, earlier about how, I, maybe it was a Sunday school class, that, that I have been, I've been meditating the last couple of weeks on, on, on a harlot. And, um, you know, it sounds, it sounds awful, doesn't it? <laughs> but it's the, the great harlot, the, the great whore of, of, of Revelation 17. And, and, and my, my, my agonizing is, God, I, I, who is she? What is she? You know, I don't, I mean, I know, I know what the traditional dispensational pre-tribulational view is, okay? But I don't want to stand up and preach to you from somebody's syllabus, from somebody's book, 
from somebody's commentary, here's what this means, because I want to know what it means. I remember when I went to seminary, and I had to sign a statement, a, a, a doctrinal statement of what I believed. And in that statement, it stated that I didn't believe in tongues. And, and I remember bef being before the, I don't remember if it was the, um, oh, it, wasn't, it could have been the dean, or it could have been the registrar. I don't remember which one I was before at that point. Um, and, but I remember sitting before him, and I think it was Dr. Tuttle, Mr. Garber, Dr. Garber, so it was one of the two, but, that, but I was sitting there, and I said, I can't sign that. And they said, what? You know, I mean, it's like they never ran into this before, you know? And, and I said, I can't sign that. And they said, why? I said, I don't know what I believe about it. I've never studied that. I mean, Woody, Pastor Woody, had never taught on that to my knowledge. I mean, when I think back further, I know we went through the book of Acts, but I was recently saved, if I was even saved at all at that point, and he might have gone through that when he went through Acts 2, and I just, I didn't get it. It just, you know, I just, it didn't, it didn't make sense to me at that point, you know. And so I never studied, and I says, I can't say that I don't believe in it, because I've never studied it out. And they said, well, are you teachable? I said, yeah, I'm teachable. And they said, well, okay. Now, that told me that what? If I'm teachable, that means that they were going to try to do what? No, they were going to try to teach me. Right, well, discourage me, but yeah, they were going to try to teach me on it, so... I started to pray about it. I said, you know, so I was allowed to put a little caveat beside there saying, you know, that I haven't studied this out yet, you know, and so I'm not, I'm not signing that part of it, and I can sign everything else. But from that point, at that very moment, I began to pray, and I began to study, and I began to meditate on the gift of tongues. I started praying for it. I mean, I mean honestly, I started reading charismatic books about it and, and finding out what the other side was saying. I mean, if this was so big that they were going to put in their doctrinal statement, I wanted to know what it was about. And so I don't, I don't necessarily encourage you to do that, but I think there's a benefit in being challenged in your faith somewhat. Okay? I think that sometimes we, we don't do that. Sometimes we, we only read what we believe or what we thought we believed because someone told us that and we're afraid. You know, and I've been told by people, you, when you stand up and preach, we want you to tell us what to believe. No, I, I, you know, sometimes I, I give you options. Sometimes I say, here's what I think. I could be wrong about this, but I, I want you to be a Berean because the Bereans were the what? They were the most noble. They were the most noble Christians because they had Paul in their midst and they didn't believe everything he said, but they checked him out. And so I wanted to check it out. And so now I know I don't believe in gibberish. I don't believe in tongues as the, as the charismatics put forth, okay? And, and this is my personal belief, I, I, okay? And so... What you believe, that's for you to do, but as a body, we don't believe that. And Bob is very firm and very confident in what he believes in about foreign languages. Okay? But it's not because of what I learned in seminary or church. It's because of what God showed me in his word. In, in this, so this, <laughs> this thing of the beast and the harlot and, and the great Babylon, Babylon the Great, is in that same vein of stuff. Do you, do you get it? I mean, I have honestly never really spent the hours of studying this thing that I have these last couple weeks. I had a class on it, you know. I mean, I've I, I read books on it, you know. And um, I, I've got books that are, you know, the, the, the various views of, of the millennium, the various views of the tribulation, and, and all those kind of things. But honestly, I'm a slow reader, and so I haven't read, been able to read all those books. I've, I've just done smattering of those things. But these past couple weeks, I've just been, I mean, I, I'm going to stand here. That's why I'm not behind the pulpit anymore, so I don't have to give account for what I say, right? No, anyways. But... But today, I'm going to give an account to, to, not just you, I'm going to give an account to God. Because James 3, 1 says, Be not many masters, such have the greater judgment or condemnation. I'm going to give an account for what I'm getting ready to teach here. And that's, that's, a, that's a huge um, 
That's a huge statement to me. I don't take that lightly. There is a, a point where I still am hardly ever comfortable when I stand up to speak because I know that what I need to speak is I need to speak truth. And I can't do that flippantly. And if I do that flippantly, I'm not going to give just an account to you. That's a minor thing if, I, if, I'm, if I'm judged by you. But I'm ultimately going to be judged by my, my dad, my, my Abba, my God. And, and that's what I don't, I don't want. And I don't want to give an account for hundreds of people. And you say, right now, wow, we're only 30 or 40, you know. But I know there's people who listen to this on the web. You know, I know that Devin has stated that things I share, he shares. Others of you share. And, and so, though you're responsible because you, you, you didn't check me out on it, but the other side is, I'm going to give an account for that fruit that is continuing to abound. And so, so I, I don't go into this lightly, but this is a blessed point of Scripture, and, and I want to state that going into this. This is that part of that passage where, where God says, blessed are you if you read. Blessed are you when you hear the words of this prophecy. And so I want to jump right into this thing with the description of the great harlot. We're going to look at the description of the great harlot, the identity of the beast, and the identity of the ten horns. And you note, again, this is for the tape as well, for posterity's sake, there is no presentation. We are fully non-technical today. Marsh is not here, so we don't have a piano. We don't, we're not using the, the overhead slide presentation. When, it, when everything boils down to it, you, you jettison the things that are what? They're not necessary. They're, right, they're not necessary. You, you come back to that which is necessary. And the fact is the thing that is necessary in proclaiming God's word is what? God's word. Amen. And uh, so, yeah, so as I considered all this, I couldn't shrink my, the continual feeding and, and uh, frenzy-ish, if you would, uh, that was going on in me, the exhilaration that's happening, um, to, to stop and try to put together a slideshow. So if, if you've become um, dependent, if you've become, what's the word, uh, an addict, now to a to a, a visual presentation, this is probably a good day for you. It's a it's a day of fasting for you, and, um, and <laughs> we'll see what God does. And uh, maybe you'll have withdrawal. You might have some some you know some detoxification that happens there. We'll pray for you and lay hands on you later, and, <laughs> and hope that you get over it. So, anyways, the description of the great harlot. Now we've just read this, okay? And so, really, what did we see as we read through this passage? And I wish I could have made a copy of this for all of you. If you want one later, I'll give this to you. This is what my reading is. This is Revelation 17 and 18 here. It's color-coded because it's an amazing thing how many things go together in the book of Revelation here. And I believe that the harlot, the beast, and Babylon are all one. Okay? Um, and we'll just state that up front. And yet, they're not. And, but yet, they are. And so, we'll see how that all comes together prophetically. First of all, we're told in Revelation 17 that she sits on what? No, well, first of all, she sits on many waters. She sits on many waters. Okay, In verse 1 of chapter 17, she sits on many waters. And in verse 15, again, we're told that she sits on many waters. And we're told in verse 15 that those many waters are really people, multitudes, nations, and tongues. And so in Revelation uh, chapter 13, verse 7, we're told the same thing about the beast, that the beast has authority over that. And the concept, biblically, of sitting on something is a is a symbol of authority, having having role, having domain, and so the idea of uh, you sitting on the horse is that you are you are riding the horse, and and so if a horse takes off, and I had that experience years ago, um, I need to be careful how many illustrations I use because I don't have time for illustrations, um, but at Fort Gordon riding a horse, I had one who decided to to do his 
own thing, he decided to become what? Rebellious, if you would, right? And took me for the ride of my life because I'm not a real horseman here. And he probably smelt that on me. And, uh, and so, man, I, I mean, I clung to that puppy, buddy. And, and I mean, and it wound up rolling on me. Um, I, I mean, it, it, I, it was flying. It, it hit a hole or something. And it went down. And, and fortunately, I was able to roll. I, I clung, I clung. I mean, and fortunately, I was able to roll with that thing. And kind of as it hit the ground, roll off of it. And it got back up and, and left. And it broke its ankle. And they were mad at me back at the, the stable and everything. And I said, I didn't, I, I didn't do anything to even get this thing to trot, you know. And, uh, but the reality is, I was not what? I was not rolling that horse. <laughs> and so, but theoretically... Being in the saddle meant that I was supposed to be, in, I was supposed to be rolling and in control. And so, as she as she sits on these many waters, the picture is that she is sitting over those things. She is rolling the many waters, and we're told that the many waters then are the the, um, the nations and, and multitudes and, and languages. And so, again, in Revelation 13 verse 7, we're told the same thing of this beast that comes up out of the water. Secondly, we're told within the context then of that as well is that she seduces kings. And in heaven, since of the earth, we're told that the kings of the earth are, have been um, made drunk with her, have been um, have sucked up to her fornications. We're told that the heavens of the earth as well have been seduced by her. She has she has seduced the kings of the earth. She has seduced the inhabitants of the earth. We're told the same thing as well about Babylon the Great in in, um, in chapter 18. We're told the, the same thing about Babylon in chapter 14, verse 8, about filling the world with um, its fornications. And so in chapter 18, verse 39 and 23, and then chapter 14, verse 8, we're told the same things about Babylon. So here we have, an, um, so far already, we have a, a similarity between the harlot and the beast, a similarity between the harlot and Babylon, okay? Thirdly, we're told um, she sits upon a scarlet beast. She sits upon the beast, but a scarlet beast is what we're told. And we're going to talk about this beast a little bit later on more shortly, but for here, suffice it to say that the beast was full of blasphemous names, Okay, full of blasphemies, and had seven heads and ten horns. We'll talk about the seven heads and ten horns later on. Okay, but just for now, the fact is that she sits on this beast. Well, that's the same beast we know from Revelation chapter 13 that comes up out of the, the water. Okay, and so and she's sitting on it, which means that she, does what? She has some control over this beast as well. Kind of interesting, huh? And so um, we didn't th we don't think that when we when we read about the beast in Revelation 13, but now here in 17 we go, wow. Hmm. This is interesting. And so now we see, fourthly, she arrays herself in purple and scarlet and adorns herself with gold, precious stones, and pearls. Well, again, we're told of the same thing about Babylon the Great in chapter 18, and you have those verses on your sermon note sheet. Note how much information you have on your sermon note sheets. Now, you have two full pages, and, and that was only because I got rid of some of my stuff. I've got four pages of notes, okay? Um, and so, um, so this means that she has some wealth, she has prosperity, she ha she's living in luxury, okay, this kind of, you can almost picture going back to the seals, though I don't think the seals are a part of this at all, but if you bring in that concept of the seals about the, you know, we talked about the haves and the have-nots, and we talked about the, the two, uh, a quarter of wheat for a day's wages and two quarts of barley for a day's wages, but don't touch the, the oil, you know, we talked about how the oil was a picture of the luxuries and that kind of stuff. And so the fact is that this is kind of that thing as well. I mean, she has all these things. You know, she's not touched by any of the, the, the poverty of the world. You know, she's, she's continually uh, living in, in luxury and riches and stuff like that. Okay? Fifth, number E, she has in her hand a golden cup 
full of abominations and filthiness of her, of her fornication. You say, you're going too fast, the line is so long. I'm getting these as direct quotes from the Bible. Okay? You can go through each of the verses that are there, and you can just write down verbatim what is there, because that's exactly what I've got. It's the Word of God. So this is the description. She has in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. We're told exactly the same thing about Babylon again. Again, do you see how this, these analogies are tying together over and over and over again? You know, harlot and Babylon, harlot and Babylon, harlot and the beast, harlot and the beast, harlot and Babylon, harlot and Babylon. And so she has this cup. Now, which is interesting, again, it's a golden cup. And when you picture a golden cup, usually gold, a golden cup would symbolize something that is, is what? Pure, something precious, something good. That's exactly right. But in that precious cup, I mean, honestly, when we picture a bottle of whiskey, a bottle of Jack Daniels or whatever, we always picture it with the, with the, the, the skull and crossbones on it. It's poison. It's, it's, it's yucky, you know? You remember the Mr. Yuck stickers? I mean, this, the kids don't. Laura, don't do that to me. You're, you're about my age here. Come on. Mr. Yuck is mean. Mr. Yuck is green. You remember it, Sean. But you're from Washington, PA. Maybe it was just a Pittsburgh thing, you know? Maybe it was the Yankee thing. Anyways, and, and we had these Mr. Yuck stickers, and you're supposed to put them on everything because Mr. Yuck is mean and green, and, and you don't want to drink those things. It was for, for kids so that we didn't drink those things, you know, because it was poisonous would kill. You know, and so it should, Mr. Yuck sticker should be on this golden bowl, this golden cup. But, you know, we picture the golden cup, and we think this is a wonderful thing. It's a beautiful thing, but it's not. It's full of what? What are we told it's full of? Abominations. It's full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. This doesn't sound good stuff, does it? It does to, to, the, to the sinners of the world. They think this is great stuff. Sixth, she has a name written on her forehead. What's her name? Mystery. First of all, don't miss the mystery. Mystery is important. Written on her name is the name. Written on her forehead is the name. Mystery. Babylon the Great. Not just Babylon the Great, though. Who else is she? She's the mother of prostitutes, or the mother of harlots. She's the mother of whores, mother of harlots, mother of prostitutes, whatever word you want to put in there. Okay? And not only the mother of harlots, but she's the mother of the abominations of the earth. We'll talk about this maybe a little bit later on, depends on how much time we have, but for here, suffice it to say, when we use the term as a mother, we consider like um, Eve being the, the mother of all living things. The idea of the mother is that which everything, what, springs forth from. That's right. It's nurtured from, okay? And so, clearly from this harlot, all the abominations of the world have sprung forth. Does that make sense? She's given birth to them, and they, and they, have, and they have sprung forth from, from her. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. Again, I don't know how much time. I wish I was in China. I wish we had five hours. Um, I might continue to preach, and if you need to go, you can go. Anyways, um, <laughs> how long will that tape hold? <laughs> Anyways, all right, let's keep going. Five hours? Awesome. That works. It must be prophetic. Anyways, seventh, okay? Isn't this interesting? Seven. I didn't do this purposely. Seven. She was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And that's verse 6. And again, we read the same thing about Babylon in verse 24 um, of chapter 18. She was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus Christ. What does it mean, drunk with it? Well, she, she's had her full of it. She's, she's exhilarated with it. She's, she's excited about it. Well, excited about what? What about the blood? She's just, you know, the donation. She's gone to the Red Cross Center. She's gone to the Shepherd 
blood center, and, and every time a believer comes in to give blood, she's excited because it's not tainted. You know, she knows that it can't be tainted, and so therefore it's a wonderful thing. No. What is it about the blood? It's the, it's, it's, the, it's not, not just the dominant, it's the death of them. It's killing them. It's, it's uh, more eradicating them. Yeah, that's probably a good word. It's not, it's not atrocious enough, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it, she is just, as we talked about in, in the, um, oh, I think it was the third horseman, um, it could be the second, it could be the third, but anyways, about the death and how it was like a sacrificial death, if you would, and the, the idea here is that she is just, she is just rejoicing and killing saints. You know, and this is again in the future. Got to remember where it is. Keep in context where we're at right now. We're in the last half of the 70th week of Daniel, so the last three and a half years. Do you get that? Okay. So we're already after the seals. We're already after the trumpets. We're in the seventh trumpet, even at this point. Okay. So the the the, the I mean the the, the seventh uh, bull of wrath. So the the bulls of wrath have been pummeling here. Okay, and all this is going on. So we're in the in that final three and a half years when, when all this wrath is being poured out, this, this, this is going on. So don't think now. We, we always get into this thing that we've got to think now. We got, what's happening right now? I just got to be right now. It's not right now. This is later. Okay? And so in some time in the future, this is going to be happening. Right? It could be tomorrow. That's the future, isn't it? But anyways, um, five minutes from now is future. But anyway, it's not happening right now that I can point my finger at. But... She will be, this harlot will be drunk with pleasure. She'll just be exhilarated with the, the killing, killing saints and the martyrs of Christ. And the word martyrs is what? Anybody know what the, the this is a transliteration of a Greek word right here, which is, I think this is phenomenal that, it's, that they do this. Does anybody remember what the word martyreo means? Martyr? Some of you are going to slap yourself upside the head because you know this. It's Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 says, and, and, and afterward you shall receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and you shall be what? Martyrs. Witnesses. You shall be witnesses of me. The word is illegal. It's a legal term. It's a, it's a legal term for witnessing, on, like on the witness stand. And so, like, when you are called to a court case and you're placed upon that stand, you know, you raised your right hand, you said, you know, repeat after me, those kind of things, and you're there, you are now a martyr. Now, that's not the way we use it today, right? But in the... In the Greek term, what is being used here, that's the idea. You are a witness. And so you have witnessed, you have declared what you know to be true, and you have been killed for it. Do you get it? Wow, isn't that incredible? I mean, you know, when we think about just all you get is say the truth and you'll be okay. No, you'll still be okay. Because honestly, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So it's still good. It's all good, ain't it? So it's all good. So, so that's, the, that's the harlot. That's the description of the harlot. But now we want to go a little bit beyond this now. We've seen that there's an equation here that's happening with the beast and with Babylon. And it will help us potentially to understand a little bit more of the harlot if we are able to identify who the beast is. And so now I start to, to tread because now I'm not just describing, right? Now I've used a different word. I haven't said I'm going to describe to you the beast. I've said what? I'm going to identify the beast. So now I start to step on thin ice. You know, I'm walking out into those clouds that I said, I can never do that. And there I am. And God has just given me the, the grace right now and the confidence um, through all this that I just, man, I just, like Marsha asked last night, did you ever think you'd be there? And I said, no, I never thought I'd be here. But I'm here. All right. 
Ready? Here we go. The seven heads are what? Seven heads. Okay, I'm done. So let's go. Okay, that was easy. All right, seven heads, we're told in, in the word, is, are also seven mountains, right? Biblically, seven mountains, okay, and, and you can go check me out on this. Um, we don't really have a lot of time for this one right now, but we'll be looking at Jeremiah 51 later on, so you'll see it as we read it in context. But biblically, mountains, again, are used to refer to kings and kingdoms as well, okay? So this makes sense because we're told that these seven waters, or the, these seven heads, are seven mountains, which are also seven kings, so that kind of makes sense. Kings are kingdoms. Kingdom, the kings are representative of their kingdoms as well. So kings and kingdoms are all there. Jesus talked about uh, repent for the kingdom of God is what? At hand. Well, why was the kingdom of God at hand? Remember we talked about that? Because he was there and he was what? He was the king. And so we talked about that when we went through the book of Matthew, that where the king is, there is his kingdom. And so they're synonymous. So in a sense then, these heads are synonymous with kings and kingdoms, okay? And we're told that there are what? Seven. seven of them. That's exactly right. Seven of them, okay? And we're told that in Revelation chapter 13. We're told that here again in Revelation chapter 17. And if you refer back to Revelation 13, again, please be a Berean, be a Berean believer. Check me out on this. Please, please, please. If I have missed something in my understanding of all this, please, please, please show it to me, okay? Because I want to know truth and I don't want to lead everybody astray. But in Revelation 13, as you read the description of the beast and how it looks like a, a leopard and a lion and the feet of a bear and those kind of things, those are all, again, descriptions and illustrations of what? The, the, the kingdoms or beasts from Daniel, of the different nations in the book of Daniel. Remember how we went through that and we had our little uh, hiatus when we started looking at different prophecies coming through scriptures that we keep it all in context. There was a reason we did all that, okay? And so uh, these, this beast then is a culmination, if you would, of all these kingdoms of the earth, which comprise even part of those kingdoms that were there in Daniel's vision as well, okay? And so but what are we told here about this, this beast as well? What we're told here as well in chapter 17, look with me at chapter 17, and it says, beginning of verse 8, it says that the beast that you saw and is not will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition, into hell. We'll talk about that later on, hopefully. And those who dwell on the earth will what? They'll marvel. We'll hopefully again talk about that in a few moments. Whose names are not written in the book of life. So the ones who are not written in the book of life on the foundation of the world, they're going to marvel when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. And so we see that there's these three um, pa past, present, and future of the, this beast, and we're saying, wow, what, what does it mean it was and is not, and yet it is? It's, so it's, it's, it was, it was, it is, it will be. You know, what does that mean? Well, we're told more about that then in verse 10. We're told in verse 10, there also are seven kings. Now, here's what it says about these seven. Five have fallen, one is, and one has not yet come, and when he comes, he must continue for a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth. Well, eighth, I thought there were seven. Ah, there's an eighth. Sometimes we miss this. The, he is the eighth of the seven and is going to perdition. Ah, that's the one that's going to perdition. So, what do we know about the, these, these seven heads? Well, first of all, we know that from John's vantage point, because John is the one who is receiving this prophecy, yes? So from John's vantage point, not my vantage point, and this is where we, sometimes we misunderstand things. We don't take 
the context of Scripture and place it into the context in which it was spoken. We want it to put into my context, like an American context. We want to see this from America. It's not from America's point of view. Remember, we talked about it. It's from Jerusalem's point of view, from Israel's point of view. That's the primary point. Unless it we're told within the, in the context of, that, of the prophecy that it should be from somebody else's vantage point, it's always from the, the, the point of view of, of Israel and Jerusalem because that's God's holy mount, right? So what are we told from John's perspective? Five of these kings or kingdoms have already been. It's really interesting and one is. Well, that was, that's an easy one. We'll talk about that in one a moment, okay? But what's, what's the one it is? Rome. Okay, so that, that's, that's an easy one, right? So, so before Rome, five, five world kingdoms. Go back, research it. There were five major world empires. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece. In the book of Daniel, we read about Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, though Rome isn't told us by name. Greece is hundreds of years before it ever becomes a, 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 a nation, if even. And so five have been. And it's interesting that as we're going to talk about these five, there is so much similarity between those five in different aspects, different, um, comp the different components of what comp goes into a, um, a civilization, into a, a, a people group, okay, into a nation. And so, so we're told five have come, okay, five have fallen, those are them. One is, that's Rome, and I left on your sermon note sheet the timeline of Rome, and this is important. I didn't know this. I, I didn't know this. I just, I've just learned so much. Over the, I mean, I just wish that I had more than five hours to, to give you, you know, just some of the stuff that I've, I've read and I've been, I mean, I was telling the Sunday school about the, on Marduk and all these gods and goddesses. I've been to Wiccan sites and all these different places reading about all these atrocious gods and goddesses. And I've been to the Vatican's website and researching all their libraries on different things. And, um, and you're not going to get any of that this morning. It's just I don't have time for any of that. It's just been just phenomenal stuff. Anyways, um, but here, this is, this is incredible stuff. Rome, Roma, actually began in 753 B.C., um, established by Romanus. Guess where it gets its name? <laughs> From its founder, right? And this is during some of the kings of Israel. I mean, Israel is, is still, Judah is still, is still around at this point when, when Romanus is founding Roma, okay? But it's, it's not a nation by this point, and it's n definitely not a strong nation. It's not until about 149 B.C., that Rome conquers Greece. Now, there are some other battles before that where, where they, they, they destroy the Seleucids and they do this and this. But 149 B.C., according to Bob now, okay, there are probably differences of opinions when Rome really reaches its, its, its supremacy as a world power. But I would put it at 149 B.C. because that is when they have fully uh, gotten rid of Greece. Okay? And so they are it. they're it at this point. There are other nations that are strong, but they at this point become it. And they, they then go and, um, and, and suppress Jerusalem and take over Jerusalem soon after that as well um, and become the, the world empire. Um, in 330 AD, Constantine is a, um, is a major, fact, major player here. Constantine was also um, the one who brought Christianity into the Roman Empire just so you know, and he really was the first pope. Um, but he moved, later he moved 
the empire to Byzantine and called it Constantinople. So he moved the, 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 the capital, this is, think about it, because this is, we may talk about this later on here, okay? He moved the capital of Rome to Byzantine. Where's Byzantine? Turkey. Okay, uh, an incredible thing here. Okay, and so he moves it to the east. And now you have this two-legged thing that Daniel talked about, why he used the legs as Rome, because you have the Western Empire and you have the Eastern Empire, okay, which becomes, starts to come out of this thing because the, the Western provinces begin to be sacked and the, and the empires, the emperors, don't do anything about it, really. They can't do anything about it. And so there's this new empire that begins in the east. The Germans, this is really interesting, the Germanic tribes, which sacked Roma, which sacked Rome, took upon themselves the mantle of the Roman Empire. Figure this one out. Because the Roman church is still there in Rome. The pope is still in Rome. You have a split in the church at this point. You have the Orthodox Church, which is, um, which is over in Greece right now. Um, which you have the Byzantine texts and those kind of stuff when you, if you look into um, textual criticism. Okay? And then you also have the Roman Church. Okay? And so we always talk about the, when we talk about the Catholic Church, we always talk about the, the Roman Church, the, uh, so the Church of Rome. And so if I refer to the Church of Rome a lot, that's what I'm talking about, so that the, the cause, there's no dis distraction, distinct, you know, we have a distinction of what we're talking about. So the Church of Rome is there. And in 800 A.D., so you see in 476 A.D., Rome falls to the Germanic troops, okay? It ends technically the Western Roman Empire, but the Roman Empire still exists. And the Roman Empire, per se, as it was, still exists all the way until 1453 A.D. I didn't know that. Did you know that? I didn't know that. It still existed to 1453 A.D. in Byzantine. That's when it actually fell. But in 800 A.D., Charlemagne, you know the name? I knew the name. I didn't know anything about, more about it. I've studied Charlemagne this, over this past couple weeks, too. Anyways, in, 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 in Charlemagne, he, um, he was the head of the, the Frankish tribes, right, nation, the Franks. And he then is, is ordained... As and, and establishes the Holy Roman Empire, okay? And 11 years later, the Eastern Roman Empire recognizes officially Charlemagne as the emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, okay? So now all of a sudden, you have again this continuation of a Western leg, if you would, of the Roman Empire, okay? Which is joined hand in hand with the Roman church. Do you get this? Okay. And that Holy Roman Empire continues on until, look at your timeline, 1806. Did you know that? Until Francis II, until Francis II abdicated the throne and it dissolved the Holy Roman Empire and it became not. Now, one is. It's Rome. But then we're told that there shall be after the one that is, there will be one other that is not yet. But when he comes, he must continue a short time. The word for short, did I leave it on your thing, is oligos? Good, okay, I left it there for a purpose. We get our word oligarchy from there, okay? Uh, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, months ago now, about an oligarchy. And it's a, 
archi comes from the word arche, which means to roll, and but oli then comes from this oligos, which is a few, a little. So it's an oligarchy is being ruled by a few. So there's you know you got a couple guys together who are are ruling over. Okay, and so some would say that really we are in an oligarchy right now. Anyway, behind the scenes we just don't know that. It's the guys who have the money in the world, um, and so. Um, this word, then, this short time, it really, you know, sometimes we, we can misunderstand what a short time means. It means a really short, a small. We use this word all the time when we say, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to life, and what? Oligas. And few there will be that find it. Okay, so all those words for few that you, that you have memorized in the scripture this is this word, okay? And so it's going to continue for just a few years, just a short time, compared to what? That's exactly right. Uh, compared to these other empires, which last for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. Hmm. So if the Holy Roman Empire is equated with the Roman Empire, and if that lasted to 1806, what world empire would there be that would come on the heels of that as the others have come on the heels of each other, right? 1776, is that, is that a particular date that's, that's important? What happened in 1776? A new kingdom, a new kingdom came on the world scene. It wasn't powerful yet, was it? No, it wasn't powerful, but it was, it was kicking against the pricks and fighting off the, the, the uh, power that was being exerted over it like all those other kingdoms did. And in 1812, we have wars, in 1814 and all that, we have wars that we refer to all the time, which really were symbolic of, of, of a special moment. And what moment was that? What did we really do in those early 1800s? We became a world power. The, 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 the birth pains of a world power were, 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 were strong at that moment, okay? What did we do at that time? What did we finally throw off? Well, we didn't throw off independence. We threw off con the British control, okay? We did that a little bit in the 1700s, but Britain still was there trying to, to, to grab it back, and there were still the, the Tories, and, and there were still the, 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 the battles that were going on for whether we were going to continue in, in this infancy, in this conception of a nation, whether we would be aborted or not, if you would, okay? And so, um, but we made it through that, that turmoil, and we threw it off. And at that point, the United States of America started to, to really go forth with the potential, the potential of being a world empire. It wasn't until after the mid-1800s, I believe, after the Civil War, that we could really begin to step forward with that. Because what happened in, in the, the Civil War? We're down south. The war of northern aggression, right? Did the, did the south fight the war all by itself? They had outside help from who? Great Britain, they were right there again. They were ready. Hey, you really are ours anyway. We're going to help you out, you know. Now, I understand it was all about the cotton trade and all that other kind of stuff going on, but the fact is they were there. But 
and I'm not making a statement in North, South, and all that other kind of stuff, it doesn't really matter, but as a nation, as we look in fulfillment, that was when the United States became the powerhouse. From that point forward, the United States began to be involved now in the world, in international conflicts. And our participation in international conflicts started to become the straw that would break the camel's back. World War II is a good case in point. If the United States, and we play this with Axis and Allies all the time, right? If the United States doesn't become involved, where's, where's Europe? It's German. It's all, it's all a Germanic empire. Interesting, isn't it? But it's the United States which becomes the world powerhouse. It becomes a world powerhouse militarily. It becomes a powerhouse economically. I believe it's a powerhouse, has been the powerhouse spiritually, religiously, sending forth missionaries throughout the earth. I think, I believe firmly that we are, the United States is the one that is not yet. We are. Could I be wrong? Yes, if we go on another thousand years, maybe there'll be another larger one. It could be the United Nations. But I, I, th I think that as in context of how the Bible has described, it can't be 10 to 12 right now, um, how the Bible has de described kingdoms, that it has to be the United States. I think this is going to want to be in a two-week message, huh? Look at you saying yes. And if we're in China, people will be saying no. The rice will hold. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, anyways, yes, yes. Um, one is not yet. I, I believe that's the United States. Now, the sad thing is that, um, and one thing that we have got to come to grips with here, is what does it say? What is the description about this one who's not yet? It will last for just a, a short period. I don't know. I didn't read that one. What did, um, for the tape, what did China say to the United States? China said, We're the, you're the new kid on the block. We've been here, and you're not going to last. That's good. That's, good. Well, that's right. And, uh, now, what, whether that means the annihilation of the United States, whether it just means the subjugation of the United States, I'm, I'm not here to declare that. I, I, lend to, I lean toward the subjugation part. But as we've gone through those seal judgments and the trumpet judgments, and we saw that a third of the earth will be destroyed, and a third of the earth is going to be burned, and the floods and everything else that goes on, there are some people who I, I remember reading back at the time, not because of they're of this persuasion at all, it was just totally independent of it, who, believe, you know, who state that really between North America and South America you have one-third of the, the world, um, and feel that that could be an indicator that that portion of the world is, is annihilated. I, I don't know. All I know is the United States has more enemies than they have friends right now. We are um, in debt to our enemies. We are the tail and not the head. Um, we owe our, our first three debtors that we owe are Saudi Arabia, China, and Russia. Go figure that one. Um, who would love nothing more than to see us gone, except for the fact that we are filling them right now with luxuries. We're the one who is is, is filling them with all of our fornications and harlotries. Um, and, and so they are eating, us, eating it up, just like this harlot on the, on the beast. 
but they're going to hate us like the ten kings hate the, the harlot. And I'm not saying we're the harlot. I'm just saying that that's the, fact, that's the same analogy is there. And they would love nothing more than to see the United States gone. You know, if they could continue on the, the, the materialistic path without us, so much the better. Because that means they get a bigger slice for themselves. So, wow. But we're told that there's an eighth that's going to spring from the seven. Isn't this interesting? There's an eighth. I will finish. Honestly, I'll finish with the seven heads part. And we'll pick up at the ten horns next week. But I, but I don't want to, so we still have some time here on the 8th, and I'm just letting you know that, that we still have a little bit of time so you can prepare yourself. I still have five hours on the 8th. Anyways, um, no, not really. But, so the 8th, okay, is coming from the 7. Okay, there is this 8th. Now, I mean, honestly, coming into this, I don't know whether I would have told you there was an 8th. I, 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 I don't think I would have comprehended this part of it. But this 8th, we're told, is about this 8th, is that it itself was and yet is not. So because it was and it isn't, what does it tell me? It can't be, it can't be Rome because it's not now. See, I don't know about you, but the traditional dispensational view is that this, is, this, this kingdom at the end, the beast at the end, is going to be what? A revival of the Roman Empire. Well, it can't be because Rome was rolling. So it can't be them. I mean, it, it can't be Rome. Now, I understand that the, the ten toes from Daniel's vision, okay, it doesn't say that it's going to be Rome. It's going to mean that it's a new kingdom, and it's going to have some of the tentacles of Rome still in it. Does that make sense? Okay? And so some of the things of Rome will be there because it's the iron and clay mixture. Okay? And so that doesn't mean that it has to be, though, Rome itself. And so, so what it's not, well, first of all, we know it's not necessarily Rome. Okay? It, it needs to be one that was. Well, what are the ones that were? Greece, Assyria, Babylon. Um, wait, no, I messed that up. I did put Greece there, didn't I? Uh, Egypt. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. Well, it can't be Greece or Assyria, or Egypt or Assyria. Why? I can't believe I put that down. I ran that through there. But get rid of that in your point, too. It cannot be Greece or Assyria. It's, it should be. It cannot be Egypt or Assyria. Why? Turn with me to Isaiah 19. Okay, I told you we have just a little bit of time here. Okay, and I don't want to shortchange this part of um, all this, so we'll, we'll cut off and make this two weeks, um, and I'll submit that way. But I will I will kick against the, the clock this way. What's that? <laughs> it's gonna be three weeks, Matt said. Oh, I don't. I can't. I I really wanted to be done by the end of November. Uh, so maybe God says no. You're gonna spend the whole year on this. <laughs> This was my year of revelation. <laughs> Anyways, Isaiah 19. Isaiah 19. Look at what, this is in the context of the millennium. Verse 23. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrian will come into Egypt, and the Egyptian into Assyria, and the Egyptians will serve with the Assyrians. Now get this verse. In that day Israel will be one of three with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the land, whom the Lord of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people. Huh? In Assyria, the work of my hands. In Israel, my inheritance. Surely this must be spiritual. This must be allegorical. This has got to be figurative, right? I mean, surely God's not saying that there is going to be this triumvirate of, of nations that he's going to say is blessed and that is his and that it's not you know that, that God's not going to say that Egypt's his people 
and that Assyria is the work of his hands? I mean, Egypt was the ones that they were, they were enslaved to. He was the ones that they had to deliver. He, Egypt's the one where he destroyed the army, right? In Assyria, who's Assyria? That's Sennacherib. That's the, the hammer that got out of control and thought that he was going to pulverize God. And God said, who do you think you are? You're nobody. You know, you're just the one that, that I've chosen to use against my people. But here we're told by Isaiah, this is exciting stuff. This is prophetical stuff. Where, where God says, even those nations whom I'm judging, they're going to come back. But they're not the one who's going to go to perdition. Rather, they're the ones who are going to be with my people. Egypt, Israel, Assyria, the three together. There's going to be a road from Egypt to Assyria, the highway, King's Highway, passing through. Isn't that neat? So it can't be Egypt or Assyria. Makes sense, right? I mean, because we know that this final eighth kingdom is going to go to perdition. It's going to, it's going to face the full wrath of God. So it can't be them. Okay? Well, that leaves what? Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. Okay? For the sake of time, I believe it's Babylon. Now, why does it need to be Babylon? Well, let's look at Jeremiah 51, okay? And then I'm going to leave you hanging to either next week or two weeks from now when we get to that final point where we talk about the identity of Babylon. Who is Babylon? What is Babylon? Why is Babylon? Isaiah 51. Look at the first nine verses. It's, I'm sorry, um, Jeremiah. I'm glad you all said it because I was getting ready to read Isaiah. Jeremiah 51. Thank you. That's why you have things written down, right? Whew. Jeremiah 51. Thus saith Yahweh, Behold, I will raise up against Babylon, against those who dwell in Lebkemai, a destroying wind, and I will send winnowers to Babylon, who shall winnow her and empty her land. For in the day of doom they shall be against her all around. Against her let the archer bend his bow and lift himself up against her in his armor. Do not spare her, young men. Utterly destroy all of her army. Thus the slain shall fall in the land of the Chaldeans, and those thrust through in her streets. For Israel is not forsaken, nor Judah. By his God, the, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Shabbat, Though their land was filled with sin against the Holy One of Israel, flee from the midst of Babylon. Sounds like Revelation 18. Flee from the midst of Babylon, and everyone save his life. Do not be cut off in her iniquity, for this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He shall recompense her. Babylon was a what? Golden cup in the Lord's hands. Now be careful, the Lord is not the harlot, okay? In, in the Lord's hands that made all the earth drunk. Remember, God is sovereign, right? And he said that he made the ten, he, he controlled the ten kings, right? So he also controls the harlot as well. Okay, does it make sense? Okay. And so, but he says that he made the nations, um, the, the earth, that it made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine, therefore the nations are deranged. Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her, take balm for her pain. Perhaps she may be healed. We would have, what's this? We would have what? We would have healed Babylon. We. We. Who, who's we? The people of the world. The, people of the, earth, the world. We, we, we would have healed Babylon. But she's not healed. 
forsake her and let us go. Everyone to his own country, for her judgment reaches to the heaven and is lifted up to the skies. Does anybody know how Babylon fell? How Babylon was destroyed? How did Babylon fall as an empire? Does anybody know? It's recorded in the book of Daniel. Huh? The, the Medo-Persians snuck in through the drain, actually through, through the river Euphrates. They diverted the Euphrates River, which, which um, the Babylonians had placed going through their, their city so that they would always have a water supply so that if anybody ever wanted to, to put a siege ramp about them, they, they couldn't do it, right? Because they always had the mighty Euphrates going through the city. Well, the Persians diverted. They had a, a huge army on the north and a huge army on the south, and they said, wait for the sign. And you know what the sign was? It was the water stopped flowing. And at that time, they waited for what equates to December 25th, which was one of their feasts. And, and they were all drunken, okay, that night. They were all feasting. And, and, and I know I didn't get that from Alexander Hislop. I have become very dismayed with the, the two Babylons by Alexander Hislop. Okay, so just so you know that, okay? Anyways, when I, as I've been doing a lot of research, for those who that makes sense to, good. If it does make sense to you, don't worry about it. Anyways, um, but December 25th is not from him, and that is, that is a true date. And so as that happened, then the armies came under the gates. They sacked Babylon, if you would in our terminology, without a shot, without a battle, without a fight, because the whole city, as mighty as it was, as many as the walls that they had for, for their protection and everything, were all drunken. And Medo-Persia became the empire overnight. And they made Babylon one of their major capitals. This never really happened to Babylon, as described. Now, Babylon was the site of many wars, many battles for it as territory, but never as a kingdom. Okay, and there's a lot of debate on this. A lot of debate on. This. I mean, I have. I mean, I have grappled with what I'm telling you with right now. Okay, of of whether which side of the, of the fence am I standing on, on on all this? Okay, but Babylon as a nation, as a kingdom, didn't fall this way. Not as God says He's going to do to them. And note the similarity of the terminology that is being used between here and Revelation 17 and 18. And note at the very end how Isaiah is, is explaining the, the position of the world, the people of this time, saying what? We wanted Babylon to be revived. We wanted to be resurrected. We wanted it to become alive. But we what? We couldn't do it. Wouldn't it be a mighty man who was able to revive Babylon? We'll leave this for next week, but just as a little taste of it. Saddam Hussein tried to, but he couldn't. There have been many. Alexander tried to, but he died. He died in Babylon. Hussein couldn't do it. Wouldn't it be a mighty man who was able to make Babylon a, a mighty city once again? Now, jump down to the introspection. We are challenged, and I will give you this challenge, though it's as a whole, the whole thing. We are challenged in Revelation 18 as part of that reading, hopefully you remember that, that we were supposed to come out of her, come out of there. And even here in um, Jeremiah, I'm sorry, it was Jeremiah that was reading, not Isaiah. I referred to Isaiah, but it was Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, to come out from her, 
to come out, come out of her. And uh, in Revelation um, 18.4 tells us that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning of verse 14, I want to read this passage to you. It says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship is righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, very clearly says we're supposed to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, not conforming ourselves to the world, but rather being transformed in the renewing of our mind. We are told continually to come out, to come out, come out. The petition in Revelation is just one and the same. Come out. Come out. Don't be a part of the world system. How we are deceived, how we are seduced by Babylon, by her fornications, by her, by her wantonness, by her mil, uh, materialistic nature. It's a deception that goes on every time, guys, you watch a football game if you don't turn off those commercials. And even in the midst of the, the game now, they're starting to pop them up there because they know you're turning them off. So they kind of pop, pop them up. And what are every, every advertisement, what is this designed to do? Make you want something that you weren't thinking about before. It's designed to seduce you. Do you get it? Yeah. To seduce you. The seduction of Christianity was a book years ago. We are being seduced every day. We are being contaminated. We're allowing it in. We bring it in so we get bigger crowds. Make the fishbowl nicer. Put in, some, put in some amusement park rides. Put in a coffee shop. Give them Starbucks when they walk in. Now, am I saying it's wrong to have Starbucks? I'm not saying it. Do you get what I'm saying, though? But is it the word or is it the numbers? What's it all about? We're told in the book of Colossians that we're supposed to, to not use the rudiment principles of the world. And yet we do. Finally, the victory belongs to Yahweh. It's his kingdom that's going to stand. Though this harlot is going to be drunk with the blood of the, of the saints and of the martyrs, and Babylon is going to be all about killing the saints, and we see that throughout the world, and we're seeing the, the, the birth pains, we're seeing the initial conceptions of it even here in the United States with the persecution of Christianity in a minor, very, very minor form. We, you know, it's not really the persecution that's going to come. The one thing I need to remember as it all gets hot and heavy, as I believe it will in my lifetime, God's still in control, and it's still his victory, and it's his kingdom. <laughs> That's going to stand. Bob's kingdom may fall. We may be scattered. My kids may be pulled away from me. But God's still God. And his kingdom's going to reign. In the very end, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of Satan is going to fall. One little word shall fell it. When he comes on that white horse, with faithful and true, and that sword coming forth, and it's done.
I hope I got a box seat, man. I want to be there for that one. Just watching, being a part of it. I want to be there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's true, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. I thank you, Lord, for what you have allowed me to, to learn and absorb. And, to, and Lord, I, I'm, I'm worried, though, and that you've stretched this into another week and what more I'm supposed to be studying and to learning and to, to reading and to absorb and to meditate on and to um, the, the spiritual war even that I felt as I, as I go through some of these things, Lord. Um, I thank you, though. I just, I am marveling at you, not at Babylon. This world's going to come and go. Lord, we are but mists and vapors. We are but, but grass which grows and withers. But your word is that which stands forever and is that which we cling to. Lord, you've said that by faith we must come to you for you are a rewarder of those who believe that you exist and to diligently seek you. God, I pray that we would seek you with all of our heart, that we would hunger and thirst for you and your kingdom and your righteousness giving you the glory and the praise. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to a mighty fortune.